Our for first portion of the scripture is from Genesis, chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabok. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And the next part is Mark, chapter 1, verse, beginning with verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. All right. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Uh, we're going to be talking about that for the next several weeks. But um, what do you say when you pray? What do you, what, say, say about your worries, your praises. Thank you. Did you ever learn little prayers when you were a child? God is great and God is good, and I thank him for this food. By his hands we all are fed. Um, give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Be with me through the... I can't even remember all the words now. There we go. Wake me with the morning light. Right. So, but as a child we learn those kinds of things, and they still work sometimes when we're adults. Um, although sometimes we feel that they're not enough. And sometimes I think we feel like we need to pray, but we don't know what to say. And I think sometimes we get all hung up and we hear other people pray, and, oh, I can't pray like that. 
they say too many big words, and they, their prayers are perfect, right? They, they're, oh, I can't do that. And so this week, I was thinking about how we pray and what we say when we pray. And I came across two things. One was some alphabets, and one was something that a friend of mine wrote. Um, there is a story, I don't know if it's true or not, about a little girl that was lost in the woods, and she knew she needed to pray, but she didn't know what to pray. So she prayed A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, all the way through the alphabet, and she kept repeating it and repeating it. And the person that found her said, what are you saying? She said, well, I'm praying. He said, it sounds like you're saying the alphabet. And she said, well, I know I needed to pray, but I didn't know what to pray for, so I said the letters, and God put them together, and he sent me you. <laughs> so that's one thing we can do. We can pray the alphabet. But a friend of mine that some of you may know, because he's been here to visit and preached here, Michael Harvey, does anybody know him? Yeah. Well, I happened to be looking through Facebook this week, and he had posted a prayer, or a thing about prayer, and I was like, wow, that's like perfect for what I'm talking about here. He wrote, I, I guess you would call it a poem, um, and I didn't ask his permission, so I'm sorry, Michael, but I'm going to share it anyway, because it's really good. Um, he wrote, when I'm alone at a table at Gino's or any restaurant with a bottle of Italian red waiting for someone who isn't near, a sigh is a prayer. When the hard thing has been said and no other words will appear, silence is a prayer. To say nothing is a prayer. Not seeing the trees or the rocks or the neighbor's houses, only staring into the moonless sphere, that's a prayer. And God damn it is a prayer that maybe God hears not as God damn it, but as life is absurd and I can't find the words. A laugh is a prayer when there's nothing funny particularly, but something funny generally. And though it's not completely out of place in society, it's not out of place with God. I believe God hears when I pray, even if Jesus doesn't seem near. I believe Jesus is here. Jesus is a prayer. And that night, I slammed the door on my car and drove like a bank robber down to the park at midnight and let out a scream full of tears and fire. That was a prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be fancy words. Prayer doesn't have to follow a formula. Prayer is constant. It's every day. It's in the things we say, in the things we don't say. It's in our alphabet. It's in the silence. It's everywhere. The Bible tells us to pray constantly. And we can. We don't have to be fancy. We don't have to be like the Pharisees who stand on the side of the road and, oh, no. Our hearts will speak for us. And if we don't have the words... God will understand, because he already knows. We just have to be 
in connection with him. ABCs, sighs, silence, screams, whatever it is, give it to God. He wants to hear from you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you hear us. You hear the things we speak and the things we don't speak. You hear what's in our hearts and in our minds. You hear us in our anger. You hear us in our fear. You hear us in our joy. You hear us no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. And we thank you for that. So hear us when we pray all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ready to go downstairs? Let's pray. Lord, it seems funny to pray about prayer. Um, but Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to investigate a little bit um, this remarkable form of communication that we have with you. Um, Lord, I pray that you will help us all to be open to what you want to share with us this week and in the coming ones about how we can draw closer to you through prayer. In your name, amen. Okay, so we're talking about prayer, in case you didn't realize that yet. Um, how would you define prayer? What is it? Go ahead, Ray. A chance to talk to God. Okay, a chance to talk with God. What's the distinction? You listen too. Okay, that's good. Any other? Go ahead, Freddie. Okay, you can ask God for advice. Yeah. Do you get it? Yeah. Cry for help. Mm -hmm. A conversation. What's that? Oh, it's a long conversation when you're on a long road. Yeah, that's true. And the radio's not working. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's good use of your time. It is a demonstration of faith. Yeah. It is, there's a lot of ways to describe it, right? We could probably keep going. Um, so what, what questions do you have about prayer? Why does or doesn't? Oh, why doesn't it feel like it's working for me? Yeah. Okay, why did the answers take so long to show up? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop with that one. Why why is there so much going wrong with the world? Why is God letting that happen? I was you know that that I spend a decent amount of time on Twitter, um, and there's a friend of mine on Twitter who this week posted, can I be vulnerable and admit how futile prayer feels in these moments? And that was the day that um, Russia finally started invading Ukraine for real. And I agree, and I 
said, I actually responded, and I said, yeah, tell me about it. I actually am just getting ready to preach a whole seven-week series on prayer, and <laughs> it feels extra challenging right now in times like this. Also, I think we know that in our country, we ha there's this thing that happens. Um, it's typically, we hear it a lot of times when there's um, an example of gun violence, especially in a school or a place of worship, and um, there's, there's one group of people that immediately says, we need to have better gun laws, and then there's another group of people that says, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims. And the outside world looks at that and says, it's such a cop-out. What a cop-out. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims. And I think sometimes it is a cop-out because the people that are saying our thoughts and prayers are with the victims aren't actually thinking or praying about the victims. Yeah, we're not going to unpack that whole... <laughs> we can have a conversation about that afterwards. Um, I'm but I'm using it as an example of what it sometimes feels like if the if we are saying our thoughts and prayers are with people they better be they should be however i think sometimes it feels like nothing is happening because it feels like nothing's happening we might actually be praying and still there's gun violence in schools and still there's um, people being attacked in places of worship and it's a problem also, prayer is a huge topic. You guys just gave a few definitions, but it's, it's a lot. We have seven weeks to talk about it. I don't think it's going to fit <laughs> in the seven weeks. However, I'm hoping that by Easter, and I'm praying, that by Easter, we will have a little, at least a little bit bigger vision of what prayer is, and maybe a little bit mo more motivation to do it, and also, especially maybe, that we will start to feel freer in our prayer, because we'll see that it's bigger, maybe, than what we thought. Because God is bigger than what we thought. Well, well, don't, don't worry, don't get ahead of me, <laughs> but we have seven weeks, don't forget. But we are going to talk about the faith piece, because that is, you're right, that part is absolutely, you, it, yes, thank you for helping me find that word, because I wasn't finding it. Um, it's not that prayer, to your point, David, it's not that prayer itself makes a difference. It is that God, and often God through us, because of our prayer, makes a difference. We're not putting our faith in prayer itself. We're putting our faith in God, and prayer is the way we do it. So, um, I am not going to preach from this book. This is not the Bible, but it is a book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I've referred to it a couple times here before. It's by a guy named Pete Breed. Um, 
there's, he's British, and so there's some things in here that, from his culture, that might not totally mesh, but if you like to read and you're interested in reading more about the topic of prayer, I recommend it. It's a pretty good book. Um, he has some, like, exercises and resources and stuff that, um, that you can look into, and so I'll probably be quoting him occasionally in this series, but he gives, in his opening chapter, he gives an example of different ways that people pray, but it's not just different ways that Christians pray, and it's not just different ways that modern Christians pray, it's how people around the world, throughout the ages, pray. Religious people, non-religious people, will sometimes find themselves praying. He actually gives some examples of um, a couple of people that are like, I don't, I don't feel like I need to pray all the time, but I'm a surgeon, and I don't really know wh who or what God is, but sometimes it's a really tough case, and so then I'll pray. So prayer is this thing that human beings actually have in common. We talked at the retreat a little bit yesterday as kind of a side conversation about the, the Bible and if it is or isn't like other holy books, and I would argue that it really isn't, um, even though it contains the Hebrew scriptures in it. Um, it really isn't like any other book, but prayer is something, even if the ways we do it are different, prayer is something that all religions have in common. That is the common connector across religions and even across human experience. And so Pete Grieg says, it is no exaggeration to say that to be human is to pray. Why do you think that might be? Thanks. Fabulous. Okay, because you want things to change. Okay, so yeah, a lot of us, at least, <laughs> I definitely do, um, talk to ourselves in our head, and so a lot of prayer comes from our, you know, our, it's our thoughts, it is how we're thinking, and so maybe we've developed this way of kind of projecting those thoughts outside of us, that's, that's possible. Okay. I think that's right. Deep down inside of us, we all know that there's a creator and we need him. So, prayer is, the point of this is, prayer is normal. Which is kind of a crazy thought because it feels like it's weird. But prayer is normal behavior for humans. We almost can't help ourselves can't keep ourselves from praying, whether we believe in it or understand how it works or think it doesn't work or not. It actually doesn't need to be as complicated as we try to make it. You can tell me, then, why are we having seven ser sermons about it? Well, you know. <laughs> um, in Matthew 6, verses 7 to 8, in the message version, um, Jesus says, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. 
and some of us have issues with our dads, so the father part might be tricky. But the point of what Jesus is saying here is, first of all, that his father is actually loving. Um, but also that prayer is relational. A lot of times I think we come to prayer as if it's a transaction. And so I do something for you, God, and you do something for me. And I have definitely, that has been my approach in the past to my interactions with God. I, I know that I can't really manipulate God to do what I want, but I sort of feel like if I do something for God, if I dedicate my life to God, if I uh, pray a certain way or if I tell a certain number of people about Jesus or something, that God owes me. But prayer is not a transaction. God is not a candy machine that you can kick if the candy bar doesn't come out. <laughs> so it's because he is personal. He's not exactly like us, but he is personal. He's not a machine. And so he wants to interact with us in a relationship. Prayer comes from a deeper, earlier more basic level of our humanity than our need to understand how things work comes from. When you, I used to work for hospice, as you might know, and um, so there are a lot of people on hospice who were elderly, and many of them had some form of dementia. And so I learned pretty quickly, there are three things that your brain retains, or that you as a human retain, even when you forget all your memories, you you don't remember anything or know how to do math or really can't understand what you're reading anymore or any of that stuff. All that stuff goes away, but you will... The things that don't go away are music, prayer, and swearing. <laughs> because all of those things come from somewhere deeper and less conscious than a lot of the other things that we try to do, like understand how things work. Prayer is, because prayer is so fundamental to who we are as humans, it is an example, a glimmer of human help. Even if we have, even if we struggle with mental illness or we have some other kind of illness or things are going crazy around us or things are really terrible, if you can pray, there you have a tiny little island of help. Why? Because prayer is actually how we function. Prayer is actually a way of doing something. So thoughts and prayers sounds like we're doing nothing. We're copping out. We're not doing anything. But prayer is actually how we accomplish things. Because it acknowledges that we are not in control and we are teaming up with God to do something about whatever the situation is. And this is because prayer is the last vestige of temple. The last scraps, you know, last we were talking about temple and temple is the overlap of heavens and earth. Something that God and humans do together. The place where God and humans overlap that is what prayer is. That's the last thing we got out of the Garden of Eden. Kind of. So, our, we had two kind of weird passages today. The first one from Genesis was extra weird. Um, 
But the thing that about that passage that's significant, especially for us today, is the very last phrase of verse 26. At that time, this is Genesis 4, 26. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It sounds like this passage is telling us when prayer started. So then we have to figure out at what time. And that's why we have to read the weird stories ahead of time, ahead of it. Why were they not praying immediately after they got out of the Garden of Eden? Um, why did they, what made them start at that time? Well, so we got to look a little bit at the very, very beginning of what the Bible tells us about human history. Adam and Eve get kicked out of Eden because they try to be like God without God. <coughs> they try to be God on their own terms instead of God's terms. And... We can tell, though, that's in Genesis 3. At the beginning of chapter 4, God is clearly around. Eve has her first son, Cain, and she acknowledges God when she bears Cain. And later in this chapter, we see that she also acknowledges God when she bears Seth. Little interesting side point. The women in the Old Testament are more likely to acknowledge God first before the men. Adam does not acknowledge God in any of the rest of the story about him. But Eve does it twice. Um, and there are some other stories in the, in the Old Testament where we see that dynamic in play. So that's just a, keep that in the back of your mind because it may come up sometimes. Who knows? Um, okay, so Eve acknowledges God when she bears Cain. Abel and Cain make sacrifices to God. So there's some kind of religious practice that's happening. Um, and we know that God approves Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, and it's not really clear why that is. Um, Cain gets mad, and God actually speaks to Cain directly and says, hey, look, sin is crouching at your door. You need to master it, or it's going to take over you. And Cain apparently doesn't care, and so he kills his brother Abel because he's jealous. Note. Even when God comes up to you in person and says, hey, watch out, make a good choice here, <laughs> doesn't mean you're necessarily going to make a good choice. So any of us who have ever said, I really wish God would just give me a neon sign about what to do, mm, that might help. <laughs> but let's be real here. Okay. So there's these interactions with God, but it's only at the end of the chapter that people, a couple of generations later, even though Adam and Eve are still alive, call on the name of the Lord. And what does that mean? Why? What, it, what does that tell us about prayer? I think there's a couple things it tells us about prayer to start off. Acknowledging God is the beginning of prayer, but it isn't the fullness of prayer. So Eve acknowledges God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's praying. I can acknowledge that the last president of the United States and the current president of the United States are, are or were presidents of the United States, but it doesn't mean I have to like it, and I absolutely do not have any kind of relationship or interaction with either of them. Right? My acknowledging it doesn't really make a difference to whether they are or aren't presidents of the United States or how I feel about it. Or what happens because of that. So it's a start, 
but it's not the fullness of prayer. Also, God is interested in our sacrifices, but without relationship, even those are not prayer. We don't offer animal sacrifices anymore, obviously, but we can sacrifice things in our life, life to God. But without the relationship that comes from prayer, the sacrifices are not prayer. We know this because in 1 Corinthians 13, Apostle Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if I allow myself to be martyred and all of this stuff, but I don't have love, meaning the love of God, I'm nothing. So sacrifices are, are not prayer. God stepping in to warn us of consequences is also not prayer. Even though prayer is a two-way thing between us and God, God saying, hey, hello, don't be an idiot, is still not prayer. Calling on the name of the Lord is prayer, and it is something different than all of those things, or something more than all those things, even if it incorporates parts of them. Calling on the name of the Lord is inviting God into the mess that we have created. Maybe we ourselves have created a mess for ourselves, or maybe we, the species, have created a messy world so that there are wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and all kinds of things. Calling on the name of the Lord is inviting God into those messes. So in this story, what's the mess? The mess is, and it's our mess too, being God on our own terms doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. So we see after Cain kills Abel, God says, okay, you're gonna, I'm going to exile you from civilization. And in case you get hung up on the whole idea of where did all these other people come from, if Adam and Eve were the first humans, that's a thing. We can have that conversation sometime, but not right now. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just say there's a whole bunch of people. God's saying, I'm exiling you from these people because you killed your brother. And so Cain actually builds a city. And it's not that cities in themselves are bad, but Cain is building a city in direct rebellion against what God, the consequences that God has put out for him. So he kills his brother, and then he builds a civilization without God. This is Babel before Babel, basically. And then Lamech, Cain's great-great-great-grandson, shows up. And he is maybe the first alpha male he is impressive to himself. He has two wives. Most likely this is the first person who's ever had two wives in human history, and he's clear, that's clearly notable. Um, so he has two wives. He has three sons who begin to organize creation, but probably not with God, um, based on the way that Genesis is telling the story. And Oh, plus he has a daughter. I mean, I guess at least they mentioned the daughter. Lamech takes the sin of Cain, murder, and turns it into war. He says, hey, ladies, these two wives who are his captive audience, <laughs> who knows if anybody else is impressed by this guy, I killed somebody just because they hurt me. And... I have taken the, what Cain did, 
if Cain is avenged seven times, I am avenging myself even more than that. Seventy times seven. There's no justice in this. Right? Vengeance is not justice. And Lamech is intentionally saying, I am going to be the most violent. I am going to go crazy. Don't even think of touching me. I am, it's all about me. This is bad. This is the introduction of war, really. So that we see that, and then we get this little snippet of Adam and Eve have a third son. We know about Cain. We know about Abel. Um, and suddenly it says Adam and Eve get together again, and, and, they, and she conceives another son, and they name him Seth. And Eve says, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Let's notice that she's probably not saying, oh, it's okay that, I, that my first son got killed, by my, that my other son got killed by my first son. But she's noticing, she's lamenting. She's speaking about this loss, that one son murdered another. That's a lament. And she's aware that God is still compassionate. God is comforting her, not making it all better, but comforting her in her grief by giving her this other son, Seth. I kind of wonder, sometimes you can <coughs> definitely tell things are true from this, the text, the scriptural text, and sometimes you have to conjecture a little bit, and so I'm going to say this is a conjecture, this is me imagining from the text. You don't have to take this at face value, but I kind of wonder, because we already see that Eve is someone who acknowledges the Lord, even after her sin, even after their exile from, from Eden, if it was her acknowledgement this second time of lament and of God's compassion that started people calling on the name of the Lord. Because here are all these people going from bad to worse, rebelling, taking a... Adam and Eve ate a fruit, and suddenly their son is killing another son, and suddenly his great-grandson or whatever is killing another guy for really no reason. And... Here's Eve saying, oh, God does care. God hasn't, we are not in Eden anymore, but God knows about what just happened, what happened in my family. God actually cares about what happened in my family. God gave me this child. God is aware, and so because God is aware, maybe I can actually talk to him about some of this stuff. So they call on the name of the Lord. We don't know what calling on the name of the Lord looks like in this really early in human history context because it's just not described. But we can guess that at a minimum, calling on the name of the Lord is acknowledging God's nature and that God is aware of us. Calling on the name of the Lord willingly exposes to God what's wrong with us and what's wrong for us and requests God to get involved with us again. We aren't told what the specific requests were, but here are a bunch of humans not that long out of Eden who are suffering and lamenting, and they're suddenly saying, oh, this actually, 
That's his trust. And God might care. Seth and ultimately his descendant Noah are the ones who carry on the human line after the flood. And you kind of have to, we'll talk a little bit more in the future about does prayer change God's mind and, and all this crazy stuff. But um, prayer does make a difference to how God decides to deal with the world. And we know that God had a big picture, and I don't believe that he was planning to rule things out at Noah ever. I think he, ha- see, we know that from the beginning of time, before he even created us, Jesus had this plan to come and redeem us. But I sort of wonder if the reason that Noah was born from the human participating level was because people started calling on the name of the Lord. And if they had not done that, then it's possible the flood could, God could have just said, you know what, these people are a disaster. Yeah, totally reset. I'm just going to wipe the whole thing out. I'm going to create a new planet over here with these new beings. We're going to try it again. But he doesn't. He keeps the same human beings. A lot of people do get wiped out, but people started calling on the name of the Lord, and there was Noah, a righteous man. So, I know, we're going late. <laughs> but I won't be here next week, so make up for that. Um, we see calling on the name of the Lord in a different way in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is in the New Testament. This is millennia later. And so we've had millennia of people around the world, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, but also other people from other nations and other religions and other time periods praying. And in Mark chapter 1, sorry, Mark chapter 1, the people that we're looking at are the people of God, the chosen people of God, who have been praying and waiting and longing for a Messiah. In this chapter, we see some prayer dynamics that we can, that show us how people relate to God, but also that we can take as um, ways that we should and can relate to God. And also, we can see how Jesus prayed. First of all, we see that there is corporate worship happening. There's worship of people all together. This this story starts out as soon as they left the synagogue. So Jesus and his disciples were actually at the synagogue with other people, worshiping God, learning about God, and presumably praying all together in community. Also in this story, we see people willingly exposing something that's wrong. After they leave the synagogue... um, So they spend time with God together, and then they go to Peter's house, but it's not just, we're going to go hang out. There's something wrong. And it says, Simon's mother, that's Peter, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Maybe they didn't know they were praying, but they were praying. They're telling God, hey, something's wrong. Why did they tell Jesus about it? They obviously thought he could do something about it, this is really early in his ministry. We don't have any sense that he's, he might have done the miracle at Cana um, by this point, but that he probably hasn't done any other kind of miracle. So, um, they, but they're telling him. Also, it's not a formula or a transaction for specific results. That evening after sunset, 
After Sabbath, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Jesus healed many. He also drove out many demons. So after Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, news gets out, and it's the Sabbath, so they wait until evening. They wait until the sun's gone down, and it's not Sabbath anymore. And they bring all their sick people in the town, all of them, right outside this Imagine if you've been sick with a really bad fever and you haven't been able to do anything and Jesus heals you, but you're probably still kind of convalescing and then all these people show up <laughs> at your house outside, overflowing your yard. Anyway, that's happening. But there's not this thing where Jesus is like, oh, you all came and so now I'm, I have to heal all of you. We don't know why he didn't heal everybody. But it's, the point of this is it's not a transaction. It's not you put in this and you get out this. All the sick and demon-possessed are there, and Jesus heals many. Here's something else you can learn about prayer. Prayer is so human that when God becomes a human, he prays. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He prayed. Prayer is how the heavens and the earth overlap in God and in God's people in the here and now. And this is so crazy. You know, when we were talking about temple and we were saying, you know, Solomon, David and Solomon wanted to build a temple and God was kind of like, well, I mean, I guess. Um, not you, but you. But, and God receives the temple, but it wasn't really this, this thing that God initiated. Prayer, I think we could say that prayer is the one thing that God allows us to initiate. God could not have created prayer himself, which sounds weird to say God couldn't do something, but stick with me here. God had tried to come to Cain and tell him, you know, don't mess up. God had talked to Adam and Eve and said, don't eat from this tree. But those things don't work if we don't listen. And if we don't interact with God around those things. Prayer is the God-human project that God did not initiate. But now God in Jesus, God is a human. What a great way to stay united with the Father. It's like, he's like, here I am. Ah, oh, this is great. Prayer. We communicate with God. This is, the, this is the thing God gave us. It's a superpower, really, that we can communicate with God like this, in the mess. We also see, as Jesus goes away to pray, that alone time with God is at least as important as worshiping God together at the synagogue or at church. Both are necessary. Jesus does both. The story starts and ends with both. And we need time alone with God for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's for the strength to bring full healing and restoration to the broken world. Jesus spent himself healing all those people, so he goes off to get recharged. But we also get recharged so we can go out and do it again. Sometimes we need to get alone with God just for the strength to continue to be godly. Right? 
easy. It's not easy to be godly, especially on our own steam. And so we need to spend time with God getting to know his character so we can start to take his character on. If we hope to bring the presence of Jesus to the world, and if we hope to further the kingdom of God, we must spend time with God. God doesn't fit into our boxes because he wants to do something more, usually more than what we're asking. And we even see this in the story. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. What's their prayer? Where are you? It's a good prayer. But what are they implying that they want? Be with us. Come fix it. Everyone is looking for you. You healed, you healed some of these people last night. Come back. Uh, yep, come back and, and fix the rest of them. But Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Because I came for, uh, for all these people. And so they go to another town, and they go to other towns. And so he doesn't actually answer their prayer in the way that they meant. He doesn't stay in that town, but he invites them to come with him to the other towns that he came for, too. And later in the Gospels, we find out that they are given the power to do healing also. None of that would have happened if they just stayed in Capernaum. We bring the kingdom, or the temple, throughout the earth, little by little, one at a time, one person at a time, one community at a time, one town at a time. We do it in small stages so that we can have a bigger impact. The specifics that we ask for in prayer may not be met, or they may be met in a different way than the way we meant. And sometimes it's so different we don't even recognize it, at least not at first. But we can be sure that God hears us, and that whether obviously or not, or immediately or not, God will find a way of responding to the real need that he knows better than we do that we present to him. And that calling on the name of the Lord, inviting God into our mess, is calling on a God of love and compassion who will in turn invite us into his love and into sharing his love. Calling on the name of the Lord is, is an invitation to God to have a say in our lives again. And an invitation to God to invite us into his work, into his life, to bring the heavens to earth. So maybe times like this, when nations are in war or on the brink of war, is exactly the time to call on the name of the Lord. Genesis says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And the disciples say, everyone is looking for you. That's our prayer. Lord, everyone is looking for you. Amen.